So when I was in divinity school in North Carolina, I uh, had the privilege of hearing this lecture from one of the professors at that school, um, Ellen Davis. And she had just written a book about the Bible and agriculture. Um, it's called Scripture, Culture, Agriculture, an Agrarian Reading of the Bible. And it was, a, it was a fascinating lecture because she talked about how, as modern people, it's sometimes difficult to enter into the, the world of the biblical text uh, because we're in a society where we go to the grocery store and pick up our food for the week, where in the time of scripture, it was an agrarian society. It was a society that was dependent on subsistence farming. And so you could think of the beginning of Ruth, where it talks about a famine in the land. That would be something that, for an agrarian society that's dependent on the ground every year, they would understand the seriousness of that. But it's also fascinating when you read the Bible, the way that you have all of this agrarian imagery that starts off, it's at the very beginning, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life, and the, these images of planting and growing and seed and fruit go all the way through Scripture to the book of Revelation. And in our text today, we see this agrarian image in action. At the very beginning of this, of this imagery, in verse 11, the, the prophet is talking about Ephraim as this trained calf that loved to thresh. And it's really the, the Lord speaking. And he said that he spared her neck. And so that's talking about what would often be the case for animals, is you had to separate the, the stock of the wheat from the grain, that they would bring them onto the threshing floor, and they would allow the animals to walk around on the grain, which was often a very good deal for the animals, because even in the, the Old Testament, it says that you shouldn't muzzle the ox as it treads on the grain. And so the, the animal would be free to, to eat the grain that they're treading upon. It was easy work compared to the other burdens that the animal might bear. But then you can see that in verse 11 as well, he's saying, but I'm going to put a yoke on you. Ephraim must plow worship, where Jesus talks about his yoke being easy, his burden being light. But then as we move on to verse 12 and 13, the, this agrarian imagery continues, this sowing, reaping, planting, breaking up the ground. And so that's what we're going to, to focus on today. We're going to be focusing on verse 12 and 13 especially. And we're going to ask three questions of this text. So here's the, the first question that we're going to ask, our first agrarian question. It's, what are you sowing or planting in your life? Look at verse 13. It says, you have plowed iniquity. And you, you look at that word iniquity, the, the Bible has so many different words for sin, iniquity, transgression, wrongdoing, uh, that this is a concept that is actually defined at the end of the verse in verse 13, where it says, you have trusted in your own way. That that is the very seed of iniquity is trusting in your own way, your own strength, 
rather than in God's way and his strength. Trying to do things our way rather than God's way. That's the very heart of iniquity. And he's saying that the iniquity, this doing of things our way rather than God's way, is what they were planting into the, their lives, into the, the field of their hearts. That they're, they're plowing it. And so, so this iniquity is, in, is ending up buried in their heart. And it's sm- starting small at the beginning, but it's going to grow over time. And that's what happened in even the history of Israel. And you can see that reference back in verse 9 of your text. It talks about the days of Gibeah. He says that in those days... You, Israel, sinned. There they have continued. And that's referencing events that took place in the book of Judges, chapters 19 to 21. If you know the book of Judges in the Old Testament, the theme that repeats over and over again is they did what was right in their own, land, in their own eyes. And so that's the heart of iniquity, doing it your way rather than God's way. And so they would do things their own way, uh, what was right in their own eyes, And then eventually, it would bring all these consequences into their life. And it culminates at the end of the book of Judges, where there's this terrifying rape, ending in murder, ending in a civil war between the tribes of Israel, ending in basically the slaughter of one of the tribes, almost the the eradication of one of the tribes of Israel. And so this, this seed of iniquity brought forth this terrible fruit. And so what the prophet is saying here is that you, Israel, in the past have sowed, you've planted iniquity, rebellion against God deep down in your hearts, and you're continuing to do it today. And of course, he could say the same thing to us in the modern world, that as we live day to day, so often we are planting, we're plowing iniquity under the surface in our hearts. And it starts really small, even like a a seed planted in the ground. Every pornographic image, every graphic Netflix show, every lie, every harsh word, every selfish action are these seeds that are ending up in the surface and then getting planted in our hearts to eventually grow and fester and to bring death in the end. And so there's this image of plowing iniquity. But just in the preceding verse, in verse 12, you can see this this same imagery cast in in a positive way. Look at there at verse 12. It says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Now the the commentaries for me were, were helpful here. Because in English, in the ESV, the translation that we're reading from, it makes it sound like righteousness is the seed that is being planted, the object of the thing being sown, in the same way that it was iniquity in the next verse. Uh, But in Hebrew, there's actually a preposition there. And so the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, has a, a really great translation of it, which is awkward in English. It doesn't sound as good in English, but it says, so with a view to righteousness. It doesn't flow from your lips in the same way. But if you think about it, so with a view to righteousness. So it's saying righteousness then isn't the the seed that you yourself are planting in your heart. 
but as you're as you're living as these seeds are being planted that you're that you're sowing these things in your heart with this view to righteousness all along and you can think of god himself as the the righteous one reminds me of the hymn be thou my vision be thou my vision o lord of my heart not be all else to me save that thou art thou my best thought by day or by night waking or sleeping thy presence my light and so that's this that the the song is talking about sowing in ourselves with this view to this vision of righteousness that we surf the the web with a view to righteousness we watch tv with a a view to righteousness we speak to our spouse with a view to righteousness we listen to podcasts and the news with a view to righteousness we read the scriptures we engage with others in the church with this view to righteousness when i was in college studying violin one thing that my violin teacher talked a lot about was being able to envision the piece the way that it ought to be where you can put the instrument down and you try to picture what would be the dynamics where would it be loud where would it be soft what would the articulation be if if you were had no physical technical limitations as a violinist what would the piece sound like because what he always emphasized was that if you don't have that that view to the right way of playing the piece in your eye all the time as you're practicing that you're never going to be able to hit that goal because you can only play the piece as well as you can imagine the piece as you can picture the piece and that's the the image for us as well as we think about our our lives that that we are we're living each and every moment of the day with this this view to righteousness with the the holiness of god in our vision which shows us positively how we ought to live but then also exposes the way that we fall short so often of the glory of god that we fail to line up to god's standard of righteousness and we know that because we have this view to righteousness as we are sowing in our lives and so that's our first question what are you sowing what are you plowing into your life but then here is the the second question the second agrarian question that we can ask of the text what are you reaping from your life and look at verse 13 again speaking to israel he says you have plowed iniquity you have reaped injustice and have eaten the fruit of lies so you can see it's going from plowing to reaping to eating and the the image to me that kept coming to mind here was a kind of a machine from Dr. Seuss one of those crazy contraptions with lots of colors that in the one side you 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 push iniquity into the one side of the machine and it bounces and bumps through the machine and then you say what comes out the other side of the machine and that is it is injustice it's the the fruit of lies and look at that that phrase the fruit of lies in our world we're constantly surrounded by lies even lies that were that we hear them so often that we we barely think of them as lies at all 
So you can think of lies that are in popular songs that you might listen to. doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to the song. Uh, one that, that came to mind was the song, Let It Go. I like the song, Let It Go. My daughter likes the song, Let It Go. I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to the song, Let It Go. And in some ways, the song is kind of refuted at the end of the movie uh, in the plot. But, but in that song, she says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. And you say, well, that's a lie. <laughs> to say no right, no wrong, no rules for me. You could think of probably a more egregious example from Lady Gaga. It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H-I-M. Just put your paws up because you were born this way, baby. And you could go through other love songs. What are the lies we hear about love? What are the lies we hear about romance, about happiness, and the, the vision of the good life that we get from our art that we consume? You could think of TV shows, the, the false narratives that we receive from TV shows, the, the false narratives that we receive from commercials. I remember one pastor when I was in college talking about that families, when they're watching TV together to, in the commercial, it comes on, what lie is this commercial telling me? Uh, because there's almost always some lie that they're using of, you know, have this product and your life will be happy and perfect and, and you'll be as happy and content as the person in this commercial that it's a lie. But we also have lies, false narratives from politicians to sell themselves or their policies. We have lies from popular slogans. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Live for the weekend. YOLO, you only live once. That's not true. There's eternal life. What others don't know won't hurt them. It usually does. You can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt another person. That's a lie, according to scripture. Always trust your feelings, that our feelings are not always right, not always reliable. And so we're, we're constantly surrounded by, by lies. But it's not that all of those lies take root in our heart, that, that often we can see the lies for what they are. But there's this moment where the lie hits our heart it goes under the surface of our heart, and then, then it begins to grow, and then you harvest it, and then you eat it. And that's what, it, what our text is talking about when it says that they have eaten the fruit of lies. So a teenager could be fed the lie that life is absurd, pointless, meaningless, that human life has no value. But that student could then eat the fruit of lies when they go out and commit a school shooting. Or a teenager could be fed the lie that looks is everything, but then they eat the fruit of that lie when they begin to starve themselves in order to stay thin. Or a college student could be fed the lie that the Bible is full of errors, that the Bible isn't truthful and reliable, but then they eat the fruit of those lies when they walk away from church. That a young couple could be fed the lie that Sex before marriage is perfectly normal, good, probably preferable. But then they eat the fruit of that lie when they go too far. And so we have these lies, but when do the lies actually bear fruit and when do we eat that fruit? 
So that's the, the negative side of this reaping. But then, just in, as in the first section of our time together, the, there's also a positive side. And so look at verse 12 again in your Bible. If we're not reaping injustice and the fruit of lies, what are we reaping? He says, sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love. And you look at that word steadfast love, um, and probably some of you can guess the Hebrew word behind steadfast love. We talked about it early in the series, and it's the Hebrew word hesed, this important word in the Old Testament. And it, several weeks ago, I read the definition of it. Here's the definition again, that it's one of those Hebrew words whose meaning cannot be captured in one English word. It's a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts, all positive attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant faithfulness, in short, that quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it. So you, you hear that definition of steadfast love, that it's love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant, faithfulness. And then you just imagine if that reality were the reality of your life. What if you were to reap hesed, the steadfast love in your, in your marriage? What if you were to reap steadfast love in your relationships? What if you were to reap steadfast love in your, in your workplace or in your church or in your nation or your world? Imagine what that world would be like as opposed to the world of injustice and the fruit of lies. That it would be this glorious life, this beautiful world. That's the world that we would want to, to live in. That's the world that we long for so deeply. But yet, it's not the world that we see so often. Even in ourselves, that's not what we're reaping from our lives, that we see more injustice and lies than this fruit of steadfast love. And so then the question is, how can that reality of reaping steadfast love become our reality? And that's where we then move into our, our third and final agrarian question from the text. And here it is, that how can you cultivate a different garden in your life? That if your life is this field, how can it be different? And look again at verse 12. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground. And so that's the starting place right here, is it's saying that, that we have fallow ground in our heart, ground that is hard. If you've ever tried to garden and you, you come to a hard piece of ground, just the work that it takes to break it up and to, to break up the clots of dirt so that you can plant in it. And it's saying that that's the way our, our hearts are by nature, that they're hard. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 says that because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. And in Ezekiel 3, verse 7, God says, But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. 
And I love that image, a hard forehead. I think, you know, thick skull. That we're, we are, we're thick skulled by nature. We, are, we have stubborn hearts by nature, that we have hearts of stone rather than hearts of flesh. That's our starting place. And if you think about it, Jesus actually uses this imagery as well in his ministry. The, the famous parable of the sower in Matthew 13, where Jesus compares the human heart to soil. He compares the word of God to a seed and to a seed that is sown on the ground of human hearts. And he talks about some seed that fell on the path. And this is what he says. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so he's saying that the that heart is so hard, that the ground is so fallow, that when it hears the good news of the gospel, when it hears the message of salvation, that it doesn't even take root at all. It needed to be broken up, and it would have received the word. But he also talks about the, the rocky ground. And he says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so again, the the work of breaking up the soil wasn't done fully. They didn't go through and pick out the rocks and and throw them out of the garden. And so the, the plant can't get any roots to grow. And so some of you today may say, I don't know if I believe in the gospel. And maybe you think that you have mounted a a great intellectual offense against the scriptures, that, 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 that you can't believe an ancient book like the Bible. But the, the reality, according to the Bible, is that actually you may not be able to believe, that maybe it's actually your hard heart that that message is hitting the heart and you're unable to receive it initially. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, that when the heart is this hard soil, the fallow ground, it is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And Jesus as well, when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, told Nicodemus that, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That you can't see it at all unless you're born again. And, I, and that's, in biblical imagery, it's, it's talking about the same reality. It's it's breaking up the fallow ground of our heart. It's, it's being born again. It's being renewed. It's being regenerated. It's being given new life. Uh, that this is, this is what has to happen before we can see the kingdom of God. And as you're reading our text back in Hosea chapter 10 on the surface, you might think that we are the ones who break up the fallow ground of our own hearts. Because there's this command, break up the fallow ground of your heart. But I actually think that's part of the the work is we try to break up the fallow ground of our own hearts, but we realize we can't even do that. That we are so powerless 
in our own selves. But that's where we're thankful that this work of the new birth, of regeneration, of the breaking up of the human heart, to then be able to receive the word of God is the work of God. In 1 Peter 1.3, we read that he, God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Ezekiel 11.19 says, this is the Lord speaking, he says, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And so that's what God is saying. I'm going to take your heart and I'm going to break it and form it into something that is soft and pliable and malleable to hear my word, to receive the, the seed of the gospel when it comes. And sometimes this breaking up process is the as the plow comes over our heart, it's hard, it's, it's painful. We don't want to be broken down. Uh, this, and God sometimes can use sickness to, to plow our hearts, or he'll use pain to plow our hearts. He'll use failure to, to plow our hearts a little bit deeper. And then he'll potentially, and, and probably most importantly, in, in all of the cases, he uses his holy law to plow our hearts that we hear that the standard of God laid out in the Ten Commandments, even what we read together, you shall have no other gods before me. It means worshiping God alone, having him as number one. And you go through the Ten Commandments and you start to say, I see now the, the fires of, of Mount Sinai, the mountain about to fall on me. I see my, I'm trying to sow in my life with this view to righteousness, and I keep coming short over and over again of the measuring line of the standard <clears throat> in its breaking me down. It's cutting deep into my heart. And that's where you could be moving to the, the path of despair, to be so broken by the standard of God that you feel depressed and, and hopeless and unable to go any further in life. But this is where we have this turn in our text. Look at verse 12 again with me. He says, Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love break up your fallow ground he says for it is time to seek the lord and so you say what time is it today you, you look at your watch and you say oh it's ten forty-seven right now but that that's just on the the human clock that that in the the divine clock he says that it is time to seek the lord that today is the day of salvation, that, that yes, you've, you've felt the plow in your life, you've seen the, the, the fires of Mount Sinai, you know the standard of God, you've tried to sow with a view to righteousness, you, you see the, the righteous, holy judgment of God, but then at the same time, you see this, his profound mercy and his love for sinners like you and, and for me, and that we can actually then seek the Lord and that's the very essence of repentance, that if, if your heart has only been plowed where you see your guilt and your shame, but you haven't seek, uh, yet sought the Lord, then that's not true repentance according to the scripture, that, that true repentance is being broken ourselves, but then to turn in that brokenness from ourselves in our own way to God and to his way. Uh, the definition of repentance from the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, that's the breaking down part, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, 
does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it onto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. But as we wrap up our time together, look at verse 12 one more time. He says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. You say, why? Why is it time to seek the Lord? That, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. That at the beginning we thought that, that we were the ones sowing righteousness in ourselves. But all along we were plowing with a view to righteousness. But then it says that as we seek the Lord, as we're, we're broken down with awareness of God and his, his standard, that, that God is the one who comes and rains righteousness upon us. That it's a righteousness that is not our own, that it is the righteousness of God that is reigned upon us. And this is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 3. He says that for his sake, for, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And so there you see him saying, I'm not sowing my own righteousness into my life, but because he sought the Lord, he can say, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that, that as we repent, as we trust in Christ, that, that he reigns righteousness upon us, that we are counted righteous in God's sight, accepted as righteous in him. Not our own righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, counted to us, received by faith alone. That is the righteousness. And, and even as we come to our meal, we see the uh, bringing together the agrarian images. We see the, the, vi the fruit of the vine. We see the, the, the grain from the field. Though with these cups, it's hard to know how much grain is in them. Uh, but but yeah, the imagery is there uh, of, of the, the grain, the fruit of the vine that, that, that is giving life. That, that rather than eating the, the fruit of lies, that we are feeding on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Rather than trying to, to plow our own righteousness into our lives, that, that we're receiving the reign of the righteousness of Christ upon us because his body was broken, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, if you're here and you've never repented and trusted in Christ, we, we're glad you're here. Uh, we'd ask you to not come forward when people come up to take this, not to exclude anyone, but as, as just a reminder that to take it would be hypocrisy, be going through the motions. It wouldn't be true pursuit of the Lord. Um, and we ask the same for small children that haven't made a profession of faith, that they wait till they understand what is going on here. But for the rest, you don't have to be a member of Hope Church or Presbyterian Church, but to be one who has been baptized, who's put your trust in, in Christ. Uh, made that public by being part of a church that, that preaches the gospel, and, and to, to know the, the, the deep love of Christ, to have been broken down by God's law to then seek the Lord. And really one who can use the, the words of the Nicene Creed, which we see in our, our bulletin. We turn the, the page from um, where we were in page 6 to page 7. You'll see that the Nicene Creed here. So let's 
read this together, and, and we will repeat this creed again every week because we're, we're, we're planting that, that our worship service is sowing in our hearts, that we're, we're, we're sowing the Ten Commandments in our heart. We're sowing the Lord's Prayer in our heart. We're sowing the creed in our heart so that we can then know these things to then grow and bear fruit later. So please read with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and it sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead,